Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God, as we find it written in Paul's letter to the Philippians, reading there in the first chapter, beginning at the third verse. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always and every prayer of mine for you all, a making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ, and this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. And it is a beautiful morning, isn't it? With the sun shining, it is God's day, and we rejoice, and I hope that we are glad in it. And I do want to thank you for coming, because I realize it would have been so easy this morning to have remained at home. Today, as you know, in the Christian church, is known as Sexagesima Sunday. It means that this is the second of three Sundays before the beginning of the Lenten season. Last Sunday was Septuagesima, that numeral meant 70, that we last Sunday were about 70 days away from Easter. Today is Sexagesima, that's a Latin word which means 60, which means that today now we are approximately 60 days away from Easter. And the word of God that I just read is very appropriate for this Sunday and for this season of the church year. Perhaps you notice that it is taken out of the same letter from which the text was taken last Sunday. Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul, on his second missionary journey, came to the ancient city of Troy in Asia Minor. Then you recall he had the great Macedonian call, and he crossed the Aegean, he went up into Macedonia, and he came to that Roman colony city called Philippi, named after Philip of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great. And there Paul established the first Christian church on the European continent. It's years later when he writes this letter. He is now in Rome in chains because he is a minister of Jesus Christ. And he's writing to those Christians over in Philippi in Macedonia. And he tells them, he said, every time I think of you, he says, my heart is filled with joy. He says, when I pray for you, I find myself filled with joy and radiance. And then he tells them how he feels about them. He said, this is the way I feel about you, O Philippians. He says, I have you in my heart. In other words, he said, O Philippians, know this. He said, it's my heart's desire and longing that you be saved. It is the very longing of my heart that you go to heaven. It is the very hunger and thirst of my heart, Philippians, that you may share Christ in the eternal mansions. I have you in my heart, he said. This is the way I feel towards you. In fact, that's the way Paul felt toward humanity. That's the way he felt toward every man that he came into contact with. 
Every man that he ever approached, he would have this feeling, I have you in my heart. My heart longs for your eternal welfare. And as he speaks to you and me this morning from this word of God, Paul calls to us on this sexagesima Sunday, and Paul says, will you see to it that this is the way you feel toward your fellow man, that this is the way you feel toward every man with whom you come into contact, every man that you see, that the feeling will be this, I have you in my heart. My heart longs that you might share heaven and the eternal mansions. Paul says, will you let this be the feeling that you have toward mankind, toward every man, toward every individual with whom you come into contact. This feeling, I have you in my heart. You and I may say this morning, uh, why if I'm going to go around and I'm going to have that kind of a feeling, that every man that I see, every man that I come into contact with, regardless of who he is or what he is, that I'm going to have this feeling, I have you in my heart. I hunger and thirst for your salvation. We may say, uh, what's that going to do to my life? What am I going to get out of it? Is there going to be any joy? Is that going to add anything to my living? Will that make my life worth living? And the very fact when Paul was in chains and he writes to them about the happy memories that he has, Paul would say to you and me this morning, do you really want to get the most out of life? Do you really want to bubble over? Do you really want to live life so that your cup runneth over? Then Paul says, will you do this? Will you let this be your feeling toward every man that you meet, every individual? I have you in my heart. Will you have a yearning heart that that man might be saved? Paul says, if you will, I guarantee you that your life will be worth living. I guarantee you that it will be bubbling over, that you'll sort of walk it on tiptoe. You will effervesce. Your cup will run over. And you and I may say this morning, is that true that if I have this feeling that Paul had, that when I look at a man, regardless of who he is or what he is, that I will say, I have you in my heart. I feel this. My heart longs and my heart yearns. I hunger and thirst that you might share heaven in the eternal mansions with Jesus Christ. We may say to ourselves, is that going to make my life worth living? Really now, preacher, how about it? And Paul would assure you and me in the first place that it will make your cup and mine run over because when we have this kind of a feeling toward our fellow man, that every man we meet, that we say, I have you in my heart. This is our feeling, as Paul had it. That this, if we have that kind of feeling, it's going to move you and me, and it's going to cause us to treat that man by loving him as we love ourselves. We may say, look at Paul. Here's Paul in jail. What happy memories he has. What did he do when he went up into Philippi? He went up there, and one of the occasions that he had was this, that he was walking down the street there in that Roman colony, and he saw a group having a young girl. She was possessed of a demon, and they were using her as a fortune teller. Paul saw the chance to do something, and he, in the name of Jesus Christ, he drove out that demon, even though it meant that he was arrested and thrown into stocks and thrown into jail. But again, because I have you in my heart, every person that he met, he said to himself, I yearn for that person's salvation. Therefore, he loved others as he he loved himself and he showed it up in Macedonia. And we say to ourselves, how can I treat anybody otherwise when I have him in my heart that again when I see that person that I will love him as I love myself. And we may say, how do you love somebody as yourself? 
Well, the easiest way is put yourself in his moccasins for the time being. You walk in his shoes for the moment and see what his needs are. And then when you walk in his moccasins and you say to yourself, well, if I were in his shoes, this is the way I'd like to have people treat me, then you treat him that way. Jesus gave us the simple answer. When I walk in the shoes of another man and therefore I realize that he's hungry, Jesus says, feed him. Jesus says, here's the way you love him as you love yourself. If again he's thirsty, you give him a drink. If again he's naked and he's cold, give him some clothes. If he's a stranger and he's lonely, take him in. Let him feel welcome. If he is sick, Jesus says, then you'd like to have somebody visit you. You go see him and comfort him. If he's in prison, you go and you give him courage and comfort. This is the way Jesus says you will do it. And Paul says this, if this will be your attitude, this will be your frame of mind, this will be your feeling toward every man that you meet, I have you in my heart. Paul said, what could you do otherwise than to love that person as you love yourself? You'll not pass by on the other side. When you realize his need, you will love him as you love yourself because you can't yearn for a man's eternal salvation and not love him as yourself. And then we say, well, what kind of a joy will my cup run over? And may I say it will bring this joy, the joy of having served somebody else. I wonder if we've ever found the exhilaration of having done something for someone else. I wonder if you and I have ever found that there is joy. This is what puts spice in life and makes you walk on tiptoe. This is something that makes life so worth living in the cup run over. When you and I say, I've helped somebody. You know, I'm amazed, you young folks, and I certainly take my hat off to you, and I certainly want to compliment some people. Say, what do you see good in youth today? I see a lot of good, and that's this. That when so many of you come to me and you say, when you talk about your life, say, I want to do something to help my fellow man. You're not interested in seeing how much money you can make. You're not interested in becoming wealthy, but you say, I want to help. You want to get in something in life where you can have the joy of loving your neighbor as yourself. And I compliment you. To me, that's tremendous because it's going to be a life worth living. And may I say that when you look around for something to do to serve your fellow man, don't forget the Christian ministry where there are tremendous opportunities in order to love your neighbor as yourself, in order to find the joy that comes from really serving others. And that's why today, when Paul calls to you and to me, because he wrote up there again, he was in jail, and he wrote up to the Philippian congregation, I've got you in my heart. My heart yearns for your salvation. And Paul says, will you let this be your feeling towards humanity, towards every man that you meet, towards every man with whom you come into contact? And if you and I say, I'm going to start today, this is what I'm going to have as a feeling. I don't care who it is that I meet. It's going to be this, I have you in my heart. This is going to be my attitude, my feeling. Then if we determine that, we're going to pray and ask Jesus to give us that kind of a feeling. Then we're going to make use of every opportunity that we have, that we can serve our fellow man. You know, it's rather strange when we say, well, I have that person in my heart. I want that person saved. And then we look around and say, tell me something to do. We want somebody else to tell us what to do. Have you ever put yourself in the other fellow's shoes? You know the person alongside of you this morning in church? If you were in his shoes, what would you like to have someone do? I wonder if you wouldn't say, uh, if I were in his shoes, I imagine he'd like to have somebody shake hands with him this morning. I imagine he'd like a Christian smile to know that he was welcome. If that's it, could you start today? You say something small. 
Oh, life's made up of a lot of little things, isn't it? And then when we look at opportunities and we say, I have you in my heart, my longing is this, that you be in heaven with me, and that you again can share Christ in the eternal mansions, then when we see and the eyes open and we say, well, I'm going to love this person as myself, there comes the joy of building memories. Paul, again, here he was in jail in Rome in chains. The day was past as far as he knew that he could go over to Philippi and he could do something, but he was living with his memories because of some of the little things that he had done. Someone has said that today is just a handful of yesterdays. Do you ever think of that? We may say when age comes and some of our shut-ins say, what can I do? Have we ever realized that even though Paul was in jail in chains, that he was thanking God for his memories? When I was preparing the sermon, I, I just looked back and I thought, what memories do I have? Some little things. And the one that came to mind was this. It happened on a Christmas day. I had gotten word that a little girl wasn't going to get a thing for Christmas. Nothing, because your parents couldn't buy anything. And I thought, how can a little girl go without a doll? Without a doll on Christmas. And so I got a doll. It was almost as big as she. And on Christmas morning, it was the joy to go to that home. And it was a little thing to hand a doll to a little girl that didn't have a thing. And I shall never forget it as long as I live. I handed her the package. And she opened it up, not knowing what it was. And when she saw it was the doll, she just couldn't contain herself. And she ran up to me and she looked at me and she said, Mine! Mine! I said, just thank God it's yours. It's a little thing. But oh, if I get old and gray and that time comes. Oh yes, today is, again, it's a handful of memories. Let's build them. When retirement and age comes, that you and I can say, like Paul, I thank God for the memories that I've got. There were some wonderful things, just little things. Paul says to you and me this morning, I want you to have this feeling in your heart towards humanity, every man you meet. I want you to be able to feel this. I have you in my heart, mister. Again, my heart longs. I, I hunger and thirst that you might spend eternity with Christ in the eternal mansions. It's the longing of my soul for you, regardless of who he is or what he is. And Paul says, I guarantee you that it's going to be a life on tiptoe. It's going to be a life worth living. Your cup's going to run over and you and I will say, oh, is that true? Why, Paul says it can't be otherwise because Paul reminds you and me that when you've got a feeling, you say, I have you in my heart. Six little words, that's all. So look at a man, regardless of who he is or what he is, I've got you in my heart. I long and I, again, I yearn for your eternal salvation. I hope to God that you can be in heaven that you can be there in the eternal mansions, then what happens? That's going to lead us to want to share with him and to witness to him about Christ and the good news. How can you do otherwise? If you look at a man and say, oh, to God that you might spend eternity in heaven with Christ and that you might be there with me, how else could you do but, again, to take the opportunity to tell him about Jesus Christ. Oh, to speak a good word. Not to make ourselves obnoxious. You don't have to do it that way. You don't have to embarrass anybody. But oh, the little things in the place where you work and the people with whom you and I come into contact with, how easy it is to speak a good word for Jesus Christ. And when the occasion comes to be able to tell him 
that God's Son came out of the ivory palaces into this world. He became man for you and me. And he went to Calvary's cross and he died for us. And he bore hell and damnation for all men that by a childlike faith in him all of us can have our sins forgiven and we can live with him in the eternal mansions of heaven. And as the adult lectures are going to begin, I wonder if you and I could say, this is my feeling towards every man with whom I come into contact. I have him in my heart. My heart longs for his salvation. Oh, how could you do otherwise than just to say something nice about Jesus Christ? I got a letter from a listener in Galia not long ago, and she said, I heard you say one day that you never preached a sermon, but what, somewhere in the sermon, you had something about Christ and the cross, the way of salvation. She said, I was listening the other Sunday, and I wondered in that sermon where it would ever be, but she says it came, and I want to thank you for it. And may I say it's in every sermon, somewhere in the sermon, because I may be speaking to someone who has never heard the good news about Christ, that there is life and salvation in him, that there are eternal mansions awaiting this individual through a living faith in Jesus Christ. And when you and I say, as we look at a man, I have you in my heart. My heart burns for your salvation. And then when we witness this is the joy, you talk about walking again on tiptoe, and we talk about effervescing and bubbling over and are coupling over you can't witness very long for Christ before you see results. You know the joy of being able to say, there's a person, because I witnessed I've rescued that person from eternal hell and damnation. Do you have any idea what that means? To say that God used me because I had that person in my heart, that I said something good about Jesus. God used me as an instrument that this person has come to know him. Do you ever experience the joy of having saved somebody by your efforts and the joy of knowing that in heaven that person will spend an eternity saying thank you thank you you introduced me to Jesus Christ no wonder Paul oh in jail in Rome in chains and writing to the congregation of and saying oh the memories that I've got Oh, I'm filled with joy. And you say, how in the world could he be filled with joy when he prayed for them, have an exuberance about him when he was in chains? Well, here was the secret. He said, I've got you in my heart. I have you in my heart. And when you and I can say to ourselves today, this is going to be something within my heart. I'm going to feel this toward every man that I meet starting this morning. Then we ought to say to ourselves, I'm going to be determined. Now, this is Valentine's Day, isn't it? I'm going to be determined to see whether, again, this is the spirit that obtains in my home. How about your marriage? And how about mine? This is Valentine's Day, the day for lovers, isn't it? Yes, we're going to have a wedding in church this afternoon, uh, wanting to be married on Valentine's Day. I have seen very few weddings where there hasn't been a kiss at the altar, just a few and you and I look forward to it. And we say, what is there that happens after that exuberant kiss? And oh, you and I have been in churches and we've seen the groom so anxious to kiss his bride that he's knocked her veil off and we all snicker and we laugh a little, don't we? But what happens? Not long ago, I was in a group of ministers. And a Lutheran minister said this, seemed to come from the depth of his soul. He says, why don't we admit it? He said, what is marriage? But he says, desperation and it's frustration just 
barely getting along with anybody. It was a cry, and I felt he was talking about his own. I wonder about it. He said, I can count on my hand the number of happy marriages that I know. How about it? If I passed paper around this morning and no one saw your answer, and I would ask you and myself the question, if you had it to do over again, would you remarry the spouse to whom you were married? Do you know that in some groups where this has been done, the figure has gone as high as 50% saying, no, I wouldn't do it. I wonder what's happened. When couples come to me and they're having trouble and there's, again, simply a great cleavage and animosity, and I say, do you go to church any place? And some of them have been, no, why? They, they can't see any connection. Why would I ever ask whether they go to church? And some may say, well, we do go to church. But then the big thing... Do you have this feeling toward one another? I have you in my heart. Is there a yearning, a hunger and thirsting for the salvation of our spouse? What's happened? What has happened? We say, what's wrong? What is wrong? But, oh God, what about it? A man who had retired and we're having this problem. Who had retired and I saw him one noon downtown. He said, I don't go home for lunch. He says, my wife told me that she married me for life, but she didn't marry me for lunch. She didn't want him home. That's a problem, isn't it? Again, when he retires, is to get him under your feet, mother, wife. Again, this thing of adjustment. But Paul says, oh, if you could just have this, I have you in my heart, that there is a longing. And when that is there, that there is a heart's longing for the salvation of one another, then what happens? There is a growing in companionship. And it ought to be a foretaste of heaven, oughtn't it? This is what it ought to be on Valentine's Day, a foretaste of the companionship and the joy of heaven. Paul says, this is the joy I have you in my heart. Do you have this feeling toward your fellow man? How about it in our marriage, in our home? Paul would call upon you and me this morning. He would say, this is the way I feel toward humanity, toward every man that I've ever met. Regardless of who he is or what he is, I have you in my heart. I long for that person's eternal welfare. I absolutely yearn that that person may go to heaven. There's a hungering and a thirsting that he may share Christ in the eternal mansions. When Paul asked you and me today, he said, would you let this be the feeling in your heart? I have you in my heart. Paul says, I guarantee you that, again, life's going to be worth living. His was over there in Rome in chain. Paul says, why, you'll walk on tiptoe. Your cup will run over. You'll effervesce. You'll bubble over. And we may say, is it true? And Paul would say, to be sure, because he would remind us that when this is the feeling in your heart and mind toward any man, toward humanity, every man that we meet, I have you in my heart, that Paul reminds this is going to lead us to get rid of any kind of a spirit of bickering, of a grudge or ill will or animosity or prejudice against a person. If I have a person in my heart and I long for his salvation, I'm certainly not going to carry a grudge. I am certainly not going to be filled with animosity. 
How many of us, even in the Christian congregation, because we get our feelings hurt, we feel so justified in carrying ill will and hatred? Oh, can you live with any group of individuals without getting your feelings hurt? How many of us get our feelings hurt in the Christian church? I'm going to withdraw. I'm not going to be there anymore. Or we come to church and the minister said something we didn't like, and so we're going to withdraw. We're going to nurse a hatred. We're going to nurse resentment and you go home and oh it's a favorite Sunday dinner isn't it to have roast pasture isn't it so much fun everything's wrong but God did you ever look at yourselves or at myself if we carry hatred and resentment most miserable people on earth whenever I have bitterness and hatred in my heart against any man even though I may feel justified and I hate him with a vengeance he's in my thoughts all the time he spoils everything in the greatest joy that I ought to have. There he is. And I stand around. It just eats me up. But sadder still is what I do to that person. When I give him the cold treatment. When I no longer greet him and he knows that I don't have him in my heart. What am I saying to him? I'm saying to him, you're lost and you're damned, buddy. The pale of grace is over for you. God doesn't want you because you've hurt me. That's a horrible way to live, isn't it? That we carry bitterness and hatred and ill will and resentment. Paul says, if you can just have this feeling, I have you in my heart. I long for your salvation. Paul says, you'll, you'll bubble over because there won't be any hatred. You'll get rid of it in a hurry. There won't be any resentment. Even though someone deliberately hurt you and you knew they meant to hurt you, Paul said, there your cup will run over with the joy of a forgiving spirit. What is greater than a forgiving spirit when we have the peace of God? When we know that inside there is no turbulence, we're not ready to blow our stack, everything is peaceful within. And above all that, in having that person in our hearts, we are letting that person know that Christ and life and salvation are open for him, that it's never too late. This is Christian living at its best, isn't it? I have you in my heart. This is what gave Paul joy. We ought to say to ourselves, if I haven't had this kind of a spirit, and I haven't looked upon my fellow man and every man with whom I come in contact with this kind of a spirit. I'm going to start today. I'm going to ask Jesus to let me feel that way, regardless of who he is or what he is, that I may have a longing and a yearning and a hunger and a thirsting that he will be with Christ and share the eternal mansions, that I may be with him. And when we pray for it, then we're going to thank Christ that Christ had this feeling for us. Oh, he had you and me in his heart. He must have that night when he instituted the Lord's Supper. You and I may say to Paul, if we were in Rome, and say, you're in chains. How in the world can you be rejoicing and thanking God in your cup running over? And you say it because you look at every man, you say, I have you in my heart. You want him saved? We may say, after all, Paul, how do you know you're saved? After all, you were a persecutor, Paul. You persecuted the church. Where can you have such? Where is your assurance? And Paul would say, 
I saw the glory of my Christ in the Lord's Supper. He certainly has me in his heart. Paul would say, when I came as the chief of sinners, he, by means of lowly bread and wine, he gives me his body and blood. And he is telling me, look, I yearn for you, Paul. I hunger and thirst for your salvation. I am so eager to save here by means of bread and wine. Here is my body and my blood that I gave on the cross. Here are those two erasers that erase from your soul, Paul, every dirty, stinking thing that you've ever done against me that I don't even remember them anymore. Paul would say, I am certain of my salvation because I've seen the glory of my Christ in the Lord's Supper. He there assures me that he longs and he yearns and he hungers and thirsts for my salvation. He's given me every assurance that I'm saved because there's no one that he wants to save and he's forgotten. And he has obliterated from his mind what he's done. You and I ought to thank him and say, Well, if my Christ, and I've seen his glory, if again he has me in his heart, that he gives me a double assurance and I can go to communion, and he promises that he will keep that which I have committed unto him against that day, and he promises that because he's begun this good work in me, if I will just let him, he will continue it until the day when he comes. Then you and I can say... Oh, he gives me the certainty. And when I am certain of my salvation, then I can look at my fellow man and I can say, I have you in my heart. I hope that you can share eternal life with me. That means the joy of appreciation and the joy that he'll never throw up our past to us again. Paul would say, go ahead and let this be your feeling. I have you in my heart. Paul would say, I know I was a stinker. I know I was a murderer. But he would say, you know, my Lord, I've seen this Lord. He's never thrown up my past to me once. He has never said to me, Paul, I knew you when. I don't get too filled with joy, Paul would say. He's never thrown it up because he's obliterated it from his mind. When you and I can say, oh, if Jesus has me in his heart, well, then the least that I can do is I'm going to meet every man in life, starting today and in any kind of a situation. I'm going to have this feeling, I have you in my heart. Because you and I can walk the glory and we say, I've seen the glory of my Christ. And the least I can do. And our cup will bubble over to the point that even you and I as staid Lutherans, we may start to sing, Glory, Hallelujah! You and I may even say, praise the Lord. You don't hear that much in Lutheran churches. Maybe the time will come when you and I will so bubble over because we have a man in our heart. We yearn. We can say, praise the Lord. Mine eyes have seen his glory. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.